Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic: the future. This is cracking the code with Sadir Ispahani. In this episode, a conversation with Technicolor Senior Executive Vice President Vince Pazika. Not enough to know where you're going, but you have to know a little bit about some of the steps you have to take to get there. Probably the first few steps that are more important than the ones that are going to be just before you hit the, the you know get get to the target. Pazika's 33-year career in the telecoms and media industries includes Alcatel, Lucent, Siemens, and Telstra. Being a leader sometimes doesn't mean. Sorry, sometimes it means you just have to be led. You can be a part of another team and just be a team member without, and be a good leader without having to be the, the guy in front all the time. His key advice to business leaders, never lie to your team. I'd rather just say to people, like, I, I just can't talk to you about that. Or you know, try to paint the picture and leave them to fill in the gaps in a way that allows them to come to their own conclusions about what's going on. I don't like lying to a team. Now your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Vince, a pleasure to see you again. It's always uh, wonderful to interact with you and just uh, learn from you. And it's it's been a great journey of friendship over the years, and I'm I'm very grateful for that. You know, uh, thank you for joining the show, cracking the code with me, mm-hmm. and being our guest. I hope it'll be a fun hour with you, and I know that our audience is going to enjoy some of the uh, wisdom that you will probably impart during the time we have this Q and A. Thank you very much, Sadir. It's a it's very um, humbling to be asked to do this with you. You're one of my great inspirations, honestly. So this is really, really very flattering. Thank you. We'll start with, as you know, the show is a little bit about leadership. Many of us have been around in technology for a mm. while, and uh, we see a lot of disruption, disruption in business models, disruption in innovation in technology. So we'll cover a gamut of things, but mm. let's start off with a little bit with your phenomenal leader. You've had a wonderful ride over the last couple of decades and uh, it all started in in a small town in australia <laughs> right. somewhere little Brisbane so away. down under yeah, down so under yeah share with us and paint that picture of uh, what childhood was like for you mm-hmm. and uh, what those learnings were in childhood that really brought you to be the leader you are of a very large conglomerate as mm-hmm. uh, executive vice president of technicolor Yeah, I am a Brisbane boy, Italian family, so Italian-Australian family, and family values always come through pretty strong when you're growing up in an Italian family. And many a, a weekend was spent uh, around a big bowl of pasta and uh, lots of kids running around and people laughing and eating and enjoying themselves. And, and uh, generally speaking, food was a very much a part of of those experiences. And, and I think very much up the about ten, ten, twelve. I think a lot of my life. I, I was very centered around family, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, that was important. And my father was a very successful businessman in, in Brisbane. So we, we always he was always very much instilling pride in achievement and working a work ethic. Yeah, um, that was important. You know, he was a builder construction. And that, that was another thing that I admired was that at the end of the day, you, he, he, you know, his finished product was something he could take you to and show you and you could touch it and it was real and it was it wasn't a, a concept. It was it was a real outcome. Right, and people, you know, he, he, in front of his construction workers that were part of his team, they loved him. You know, you could see that every time he went. When I went, went we did the the, the the sun thing and followed Dad to work. 
watching everyone sort of rally around dad uh, was, was really inspiring. Mm-hmm. What age was this for you, family? I was, you know, grew up around construction from the age of six. That's the, I remember going to the construction site for the first time at six. So you were making these observations yeah. from that early age yeah. with yeah. your dad, watching yeah. him, observing him. Watching him. He loved being in uh, the centre of it, uh, but also he loved having that team around him and, and uh, them coming to him for help and... But at the end of the day, as I said, there was a product. There was something that you could point to. It was a, a building or a service station or a block of flats or something. It was um, what he was doing. And, you know, I think he also had that sense of family pride. Um, right. the, being the oldest son in an Italian family is always <laughs> going to bring with it certain advantages and disadvantages. And my sister at various times confessed that she, she always felt like, you know, whether she even existed at times because I was the oldest son and, and that was important in Italian families. But I think somewhere along the line, I know that there was a very important part of my life where I wouldn't say things like went off the rails, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at 13 mm-hmm. when um, I got sick at school and I missed, I guess, um, a couple, two or three weeks. Fell behind a bit. I was in grade nine. Something I was actually discovered later on that I was losing losing my eyesight a bit. I was I, needed, I became very short short sighted, mm-hmm. so I was writing down problems from the maths board, getting it wrong feeling humiliated in class and, and I just didn't want to be there so I was skipping school I perfected the art of pretending to go to school and then hiding waiting until my mum had gone and then you know wandering around the house or doing different things so um, when the report card came in that year it was like dad was going what are you doing <laughs> it was it was a real wake-up call to me realizing I'd embarrassed him a bit but more importantly I didn't know what I wanted to do somehow or another it, it, it wasn't I do think it was something he said I don't exactly remember what it was he said. I know, I know, I'm, I had that feeling of um, I've let my dad down, but it was also that that question: well, you know, What do you want to do? Um, and I hadn't really thought about it. Mm. So at that age, thirteen, I said, "Well, you know, actually, I want to be an engineer." And, and uh, it was really a combination of things: uh, television, Star Trek, things like that. Not, right. not, not that dissimilar Early to a lot of engineers. All of that. Yeah, and it's like yeah, actually, engineer. So at, just after turning thirteen, I decided that's what I wanted to be. I know I went from. So the bottom half of the class to the top half of the class in literally six months and, right. and just math english everything just science and then became one of the top students in the class and it was really just attitude and i'm very proud of that achievement and did the same thing at university then i was able to power through but but i think those were the that, that realization that you have to have direction mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to know where you're going and the only other thing that came out of those early years for me amongst all of that was came a bit from from watching dad around his team but but what i enjoyed doing was team sports mm-hmm. never, i'm never into tennis golf anything where you're by yourself i'm not the guy that sort of sits there and practices you know just one particular skill set hitting the ball against the wall or something i enjoyed going out there and being with people and achieving team success whether it was golf, whether it was basketball or soccer or any of those sort of sports as i got older and i, and I got you know you go through university you're typically working on your own you have a few lab projects and things where you're working mm. in a team. And I always felt I, felt I was better when I was in the team. I just, not that, you know, it's not that you don't think you're smart or anything. It's just that you realize that when you're in a team and your team achieves something, it felt better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I've carried through for a long time is that taking a lot of joy in team success. It's fascinating to, to hear that. And it looks like hearing you talk a little bit about how attitude is really important. Mm. Uh, you spend a lot of time in corporate boardrooms these yeah. days, yeah. and uh, you know the challenges of being a leader in the mm-hmm. in the kind of you know disruptive, uh, innovative technology mm-hmm. evolution that all of us are facing, and 
I know both you and I, Vince, have seen a lot mm-hmm. of that in the last few decades. But how do you translate that that wonderful learning? And I think it was seemed like you had a very very pivotal moment early on in your childhood to say I had a little downturn, and through that little downturn of mm-hmm. did some soul searching and mm-hmm. came out pretty good. How do you translate that into the boardroom and your leadership style and yeah and your communication style? So leadership style definitely comes from from that understanding. Look, you need to know where you're going, and it's it's one thing uh, I think probably a, le- a lesson I've learned along the way, rather than necessarily in those early years, was that it's not enough to know where you're going, but you have to know a little bit about some of the steps you have to take to get there. Right. And it's probably the first few steps that are more important than the ones that are going to be just before you hit the, the you know get get to the target. So you see these sort of mantras in a lot of books and whatever, but it's really pretty fundamental. Where are you going? What are the steps you're going to take to get there? And 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 then as a as a strategy guy, I've learned that that inspiration part, that feeling of what's right and so on, needs to be backed up right. by the right analysis to show that you're not blindsided by something. In the boardroom, I try to when we're talking about transformation, we've done a few transformations now in my career and Telstra, both Telstra at Telstra and also Technicolor, and it's always started with this is what this is what this is what the market's doing <laughs> this yeah. is where we are this is where you can see that what's going how are we going to position ourselves uh, in that and so you've got to paint pictures you've got to visualize it you've got to still show the direction create those scenarios Con- connect to that audience which is people <laughs> yeah. uh, and understand what styles they need to understand things in and then and then get uh, get everyone wanting to be successful about achieving that because that's certainly the enemy of success is, mm. is people around the table not all buying in to where you want to go. And I remember there was a, and jumping a little bit ahead here because I remember reading some of the questions you've had, but there was a, a very early point in my career when I was at Telstra. Because Telstra, by the way, it, you know, as a point of reference, I do find the telecommunications companies of the past have been great breeding grounds for good leaders simply because they put a lot of, proce- they put a lot of fundamentals of process right. and thinking and, and so on. But I, I, very early on, I was only a couple of years into the company, and I was selected for some frontline manager training course. And I hadn't thought about being a manager. I wanted to be an engineer, remember? Right, <laughs> so right. I hadn't really thought about it. I was still only a couple of years out of university. And uh, I remember sitting there amongst this mostly technical audience. There were some other engineers there. There were some technicians, some lineys. And uh, we were learning about the principles of leadership. And it was really very fundamental leadership stuff. And we had some team tasks. And for some reason, they made me a team leader. And at the time, I didn't quite understand why they made me a team leader because I was just a, an engineer. We had we had these um, had this phase where we had to do some work in the morning, and then we had some lessons in the afternoon, and then the next day we were going to come back and do the rest of the project that we'd done as a team. Right. And our team really got behind. Yeah, we we really did a bad job in the morning, to be perfectly honest. I can't remember all the reasons why. But in the afternoon, um, I started to, started to realise that that you know we were going to have to do something more to be able to be competitive with the other teams uh, going forward. And I sat down with all of the, you know, got them, spoke to them individually and then spoke to them as a team just before we went to dinner. I said, guys, you know, we're a long way behind the other guys, other teams. Uh, if we want to catch up, we're going to have to go back after work and, you know, do this or this or this. And, and you know, we, we've spoke amongst ourselves and said, yeah, that's what we're going to have to do. So dinner, after dinner finished, we all put our stuff back on, went out, um, it was all outside, we had to get lights and things to do it and torches and um, there's about 15 of us, but we got out there and we fixed it all up. And the next day, of course, we won. But right. the, the point being that we had the only way that happened was because we all, as a team, went there. And I realized afterwards the only reason that happened is because I actually spent the time with people to explain where we have to go, yeah. <laughs> what we have to do, and you know they wanted to they wanted to win their project. We all have that bit of competitiveness in it. But um, it was 
I actually had done something there. I actually led these people, <laughs> and that, um, that 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 really was the early formative days of my leadership. Um, was realizing, yeah, you, know, you actually have a bit of a talent for this, and it's not that it's easy to you. It's just, you know, like a natural flowing talent, but it was like, yeah, I, I know what you have to do to bring people along. There, you have to you have to talk to them, right? <laughs> you have to help to get them enlisted into into your into what you think is the right thing to do, and convince them. You know, maybe it's a, ver- a version of sales, but it, it yeah. certainly, in the end of the day, it's it's more than sales because you you you, you want to try and achieve something more transformative or whatever. It's 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 much more complicated. But I've really enjoyed that. Ever since that is that that realization when you've got a team outcome, right? When it's not you've played your part. Might be there's sometimes you're just a part of the team. Sometimes, and that's the other lesson I've learned too is that being a leader sometimes doesn't mean that you just have to. Sorry, sometimes it means you just have to be led, right. <laughs> and you you, you you can be a part of another team um, and just be a team member without and be a good leader without right. without having to be the, the guy in front all the time. That was the element of humility, but you, you, you know, touching a little bit upon hearing you talk, those of us who have been in these senior leadership positions, uh, mm-hmm. like you are continuing to be, and it's a huge challenge to stay actively communicating with your team. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that was a wonderful lesson early on mm-hmm. for you to it say, helps. I've got to find a way to, mm-hmm. to keep the team together by communicating effectively with them. Mm-hmm. How has that panned out? over the decades now, you know, in your leadership style as you've seen how important that communication element is, you know, and how people look to you as a leader. Uh, as a leader, you become more conscious of the fact it's a, it's not about being guarded, but it's about knowing that by having an opinion you can shape people's direction and what they want to do. Right. Uh, and so it, it puts a special onus on understanding how are you going to communicate to them and what's your strategy for communication so if you just blurt out what you're feeling or thinking at any one time it could have the wrong impact so it does put a bit more pressure on you and then the other thing that has a subtlety to that is is, is recognizing um, that different people have different styles of learning right. uh, the um, Myers-Briggs was a, like one of those inspirational moments for me realizing suddenly oh my god the pe- people think differently <laughs> to the way I think and uh, and then I became quite focused on this trying to understand from very as quickly as I could after I'd met someone where do they fit in these stere- you know not stereotypes but archetypes yeah. and then okay so how am I going to reach that person um, and then the other dimension especially when you've worked in multinational companies is okay what what's the cultural background where are they coming from what's their style uh, as well and you've got to blend that together a little bit of it is natural chemistry of your own for mm-hmm. sure but it is work it's, right. it's a learning skill you've got to put some time into understanding it till you become good at it mm. and I, I actually like the multicultural part of it I, I do like thinking that there are different people in the world who've had different educational backgrounds who've come from different religious experiences you know I'm a Catholic <laughs> but 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 I do know that we you know there's a lot of other things that make us common uh, than than just our religious backgrounds and so um, that's been fun that's a bit and, and when I was brought up in Australia it was I wouldn't say Australia is multicultural mon, uh, monocultural but um, it's easy to fall into the stereotypes of Australians in mm-hmm. Australia so getting getting the chance to travel getting a chance to work in multinational companies is just gives gives you that flavor of there's so much more to learn mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's ultimately one of the for me the best opportunities that come out of all this there's always something to learn out of um, either about how to work with people how about a culture about a technical problem of whatever that's those are the things that keep me excited mm-hmm. about every day it's like what you know, what am i going to learn today <laughs> well leadership is also about 
sometimes making mistakes and learning from them. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are some of the things you would share with, with the audience on um, what you should not do as a leader that mm-hmm. you learned early on that, that you continue to practice? In? Should not do um, is, uh, is undercut your team. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you've got to, you, you delegate, you delegate well. Right. Uh, so don't, don't, don't take away the empowerment. With, uh, if you do that, it's a pretty substantial uh, slap down. It's, it's really about a failure, of ex- a failure that, that needs to be um, corrected rather than... Um, ultimately, as accountable managers, you, you, you've got to be able to stop the rot before it, it affects the bottom line or whatever. Uh, whatever. But, but if, if you can create a learning moment from, for someone from their failure to execute, you, you give them... You, you um, delegate properly. Right. Give them an opportunity to be successful. Don't don't take away the learning moment. <laughs> so give them the opportunity to have the learning moment. It's funny. I, I, I often tend to express this more in the positives, but than than in the negatives. But it, it to me, trust is just so important. So mm-hmm. anything you do that breaks trust right. is is really ruins the opportunity to uh, build a long term. Mm-hmm working relationship I, there are very few people who I've worked with over the years that and, and has been a part of their team um, they've been a part of my team that I don't have trust with um, right. and, and I, you know, I don't think you can be successful if you haven't got a team that really trusts you and that you trust them right. Same, sim- similar but different is respect if you don't respect your team or they don't respect you then I, you know, I, I think it also the same thing happens it's different to trust mm-hmm. um, I think you have to understand the weaknesses and strengths of your team mm-hmm. um, and respect the, the strengths and respect the weaknesses. <laughs> so uh, th- those things are important. Beyond that, I've never lied to people. That falls into the trust camp and respect part maybe, but I- I'd rather just say to people, like, I-, I just can't talk to you about that or you know, try to paint the picture and leave them to fill in the gaps in a way that allows them to come to their own conclusions about what's going on. I don't, I don't like lying to a team right. and uh, some people find it easy and some people will, will I've, I've often taken great joy in being able to say to someone well I didn't actually lie to you, <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't give you the p- key piece of information that would have been able to help you understand what was about to happen but I'm not allowed to tell you that but uh, uh, you know, I think that's once you start lying to people it's back to that trust thing I guess but, yeah. but it is uh, it's easy to say I, I had to lie and, and right. that's really not true no it's very very important you today uh, lead a very interesting business mm-hmm. that's uh, evolving and changing quite a bit. Uh, you've seen a lot of dis- disruption and uh, a lot of great innovation happening too mm-hmm. over the last decade or two. Uh, what would you say are some of the technology innovations and disruptions that are keeping you awake at night? Definitely blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> And, and not because it necessarily has a specific impact on exactly the industry I do today, but I can see the impact on the ecosystem right. and therefore having an impact on, on some of the specific things we do, right. whether it's in media or finance, financial services. And there's a range of ways that it's going to have an impact. And, and even if it, because of where it is on the hype cycle, people are making investment decisions that, that impact us. I'm still a believer in these alternative reality technologies, immersive realities, augmented realities, virtual reality. Um, there's, there's, I've seen all different versions of, of the definitions of those things. Like any good technology change, it's been around for a couple of decades. It's not new. Right. <laughs> but it, th- th- there is always that intersection of the underlying technical ability to be able to, to use the technology in a way that humans can use it. 
and I think we're getting close on these immersive realities and it's actually a bit scary what it can happen with it <laughs> just like blockchain can be scary that's definitely something we see as both opportunity and at the same time there's some interesting social and ethical and moral issues that come from many of these technologies to be mm. fair but that one has a big impact and then um was it Obama said if you're not thinking about how deep learning affects your business <laughs> you know you're probably going to be irrelevant in, in a few years time I think the learning sets issues in artificial intelligence mm. are a, month, a massive fundamental building block issue that a lot of companies haven't understood they've embraced the concept oh my god artificial intelligence can change everything about where we do business okay but you realize that you need to have massive data sets <laughs> to yeah. learn for these things to learn from so where are you going to get that from and and what what are the what's the equivalent of a patent in 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 a knowledge or data set uh how do you protect what you've learned and and how you, what you've turned it into a proprietary way of learning um, applying those learnings fascinating area but probably still five to ten years from really having an impact in some of the things we do not necessarily across the board because there are places where the data sets have started to emerge and then finally probably at a personal level bioengineering genetic engineering biosciences i feel excited about the possibility of for humanity about quality life. yeah in, in giving us all the chance to be right. younger for longer right. not, not even about not it's not even about not dying it's just you know to be able to contribute to society for longer right. mm. be better contributors yeah, yeah. yeah. as you age kind yeah. of That's right. yeah. yeah you mentioned ar yeah. realities and ai you know of course uh, is, is on a lot of people's mind but how do you see some of those becoming very personal in terms of you know uh, there's a lot in the press about ai posing threat to humanity and mm-hmm. what could or couldn't happen i mean do you have a a view with everything that's going on and how you see this evolving over the next 5 to 10 years definitely a glass is half full guy <laughs> <laughs> there's the um there's the view that it's a bit as a of like that we can develop the the rules around this such that uh it can really be about improving our improving humanity mm-hmm. giving our so if you believe in those exponential trends in such a way whether it's battery and solar and other things in bringing the cost of energy down and yeah. compute becoming limitless and whatever then in theory we might actually reach a point where humanity the cost of existing is is cheaper and that we can spread wealth across society and and actually we can spend time on creative endeavors right. that would be nice i guess the reality is that's probably not going to happen in a really really short term future and there's a few other things that are going to have to happen before it does happen i'm optimistic that i that along the way we'll make some mistakes and and as a result put in place the right sort of controls because yes it is a there are doomsday doomsday scenarios there's, there's no doubt about it there are real threats in it we have a in australia we have this um creature called the cane toad <laughs> who of course was introduced it was an animal that was a creature that was introduced because they'd introduced the cane beetle <laughs> for some other reason and uh they need to introduce the cane toad to get rid of the cane beetle and unfortunately um cane toads have become this massive problem ecologically in Australia uh, mm-hmm. as you probably know and so we have a bad habit <laughs> in in our history of letting technology create these uh <laughs> rather dangerous scenarios for society but um I you know I this in this case I believe that the the way the technology will be rolled will be rolled out there'll be opportunities to learn a bit from what's working and what's not working we're seeing I actually am optimistic for example from the debate that's going on around Facebook right now um because I I I think we're learning it's been painful 
that social media has challenges in, right. in the impact that it can have on you can use it to sell stuff because when you're using it to sell politics it becomes a problem right. um, and, and so I think we're starting to um, make corrections whether we'll get there or not is you know, this time mm-hmm. this time we don't know but it's the same thing here I think that we'll probably make, have some learnings along the way Coming back to, to leadership and, uh, you know, values and the value system and morals and ethics, we all go through adverse circumstances in our lives and adversity, I think, at least in my life, has been a great learning tool. Mm. How has that affected you as you've gone through adverse circumstances? What has been your learning? I definitely learnt the most in the, when things were at the hardest, uh, always. I was fortunate to be a high-rising executive in, in Telstra at a young age, mm-hmm. um, sort of shot through the ranks uh, at a young age, but was still pretty young uh, as an executive. So I, I, I made a lot of political mistakes. And, you know, there's a, a nature of maybe when you talk about millennials that the, 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 the politics of, of life don't have the same impact on them. But when I was trying to get things done and I realised I was playing the political game badly and I was getting blindsided by relationships or... Uh, people were saying things about me that weren't true because they wanted to get a particular political outcome inside Telstra. I thought to myself, okay, I've got to learn this game. <laughs> and and you can't just be average at it. You have to be good at it. Right. But the, the, the issue with politics, of course, is people say, well, you're playing politics. But polit- politics don't have to be... It's, the, it's not the politics that are bad. It's what you do with the politics that right. is bad. I learned how to get decisions made in a corporation does involve understanding how people make decisions mm-hmm. and uh and so that you know that came from adversity that came from being well and truly whacked um a couple of times in political arguments and and uh, and suffering from that uh, at a personal level because a lot of those were personal attacks and you go through that well, why are people saying these things about me you know what it's not true and then you realize it's it's not about you it's about the decision that they wanted to get made and and you know so you can take it personally but you you, you move on but at a personal level the death of my father had a huge impact on me mm-hmm. You know, I didn't start with that one because I'm still trying to get my mind around some of the issues of it because I was um, I was pretty young. I was 22, mm-hmm. and he died at home. Uh, so there was a lot of things that go through your head about, you know, could you have saved him, all that sort of stuff. I, mm-hmm. I, I, tried, I did CPR and mm-hmm. um, I didn't do it very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, you learn afterwards that... The, when the, when the, when the when the postmortem's done, you realise that he was dead for a long time, and there wasn't really much he could have done. But at the time, I'm thinking, oh my god, I really should have paid more attention to those CPR lessons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for a couple of years, I think I was depressed, but finding a way to to keep going through life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, at that young age, I was thrust into a situation where my mother really needed me mm-hmm. uh, to to help keep her life together because mm-hmm. there was all of the the things that that just to keep. You know, she was still young; she was still in her. Uh, early 40s Mm. dad was 52 when he when he when he died so for the next few years i became even more family centric Mm -hmm. but i also i i guess i became very much focused on living out what my father's dream for me had been and Mm -hmm. being the best at what i could be because that's what i know my dad wanted me to be and i wanted to make him proud uh i threw myself into into that and I, I don't know if I consciously made a decision not to have a partner in life, but to me, being successful was the most important thing. Right. You I ended won. up getting driven. I got driven. driven. I was driven, right? Yeah. yeah. I was putting the long hours in. I was, I was trying to make my dad proud. I'm, I, I know that now. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't quite know it back then. But I also had that thing. I had to make sure my, my mum was okay, that my sister was okay, that, that I was taking that leadership role in the family. Right. 
as I was getting into my 30s and I achieved pretty much everything I could in, in, in Telstra mm -hmm. and, and yeah, I remember actually setting a goal when I was 22 that I wanted to be the first executive in Telstra at the age, under the age of 30 at the, at the senior level. Mm -hmm. and you get there and you go, okay, that's been my whole purpose for the last 10 years and now I'm there, what do I do now? now <laughs> and uh, so there was a couple of years of, of realizing that I hadn't spent any time trying to find a partner in life. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and fortunately, you know, I, didn't say, I wouldn't say that became my mission, but, um, but that when, you, when you open yourself to the possibility that that happened, then that was good. And then uh, that helped me reset a little bit so it took, you know, it's nice to say that you go from one great mission to another great mission and it, it happens seamlessly in reality that's not the way it happens and okay. so um i had a couple of years there where i was trying to say what well, you know what do i really, where, where am i going what am i trying to do again and that's when i started to set ambitions about um i realized my style was about teamwork about mm -hmm. um learning so uh i had that opportunity then to uh to take that and say okay um I'm fortunate that my partner in life wants to do different things. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we set our goals beyond Telstra and beyond Australia and we started to look at opportunities that, that took us elsewhere. It was and you've that. become a globe-prodding senior executive yeah. as a result. That's right. But it does, and lived around the world. It came from that, that driven thing, definitely, yeah. for, for the adversity at that early stage. And then I was, the happened for a reason, as I say, fate is what it is. And the, the, I, had, I found the perfect partner, someone who wanted to be on that journey. Now, the only thing was that it took me away from my Brisbane roots. <laughs> and, and that was a tough, that was tough, leaving mum and, and the family behind after having been a part of the family for, the, uh, for such a long time. But I was fortunate, again, another one of those things about selflessness is my mother, even though I'm sure she hated it, <laughs> was quite determined to let me, let me go. And it, in fact, it was... Uh, a good example of this was, it is when I think back to it now even, my mum, even though we were an Italian family, she never said to me anything about, you must marry an Italian girl. You know, that was, <laughs> all of my friends as I was growing up with in family, it was all about, you know, stay in the Italian community. And mum would actually go out of her way and say, make sure that it's the right person. <laughs> I don't care where they're from. She always was selfless about what was the right thing for me. Yeah, I was very loyal to her and I stayed, but it wasn't because she was telling me to. <laughs> right. And and that was, as I got into my 30s, I realized, yeah, you know, I've got to do something about my new relationship, you know, you know where my loyalties are here with right. my wife. And we, we took off and, uh, and you know, haven't really gone back to Brisbane since then, as you know, <laughs> as many years ago. It's a complete uh, full circle of life, so to speak, over the decades. 20, 20 years now. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you define success. Yeah, you know, that's a, there's a lot of cliches there. <laughs> journey uh, is definitely the journey. If I, can, if I can sit down at the end of, of anything and say, okay, I learned something from it, not that I didn't know harm, but that I can look at the, the, at the balance of the outcomes and, and I feel that, that, you know, even if the only thing I got out of it was learning and I know how I can use that learning for something else, right. then, then it's been successful. So I don't, I don't necessarily put an NPV, you know, dollar amount against it. If I'm having fun... That's another important part of it. There's, there's certainly been plenty of projects in my life where I go, thank God, that's over, and whatever. <laughs> but it doesn't mean when you're sitting around the table and everyone's going, oh, my God, that's the worst news we've possibly had. You can't make a joke. And you can't try <laughs> to put a smile on people's faces and put things in perspective for them because there's a lot of other things in the life than that little project that we're working on right now. Right. So so if, if at the end of the day we've, you know, nothing... Um, nothing that, uh, that we've challenged or been faced by... Um, uh, has uh, has caused irreparable harm, <laughs> then I'm I'm generally pretty happy with the outcomes. You know, I don't I don't think you can put all the eggs in one basket on any one particular thing in your life. You've got to be able to look at the the, the sum 
over a period of time. Right. So I'm still feeling like that. You know, it is a, a cliche. The journey. I, I do feel that you have to look across the spectrum of the things you're, you're achieving to, to really be able to assess success. Mm-hmm. The, the one other element of this, which I've said before, and probably some, isn't that just human nature to me, is that it's never about the personal success. Right. It, if I really feel the team success is more important than, than my own. I know I've been successful if the team's been successful. Mm-hmm. That, that's the only measure that matters to me. If it, people come to me and say, well, we don't care about the team and you did a great job, Vince. It doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, that's been good for the roles I'd like to take. You know, I, I, I don't need to be the boss. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm quite happy to, to see the boss be successful for the boss to have, um, have, have his bonus or whatever. Because for me, that's... You know, we've been a part of the team. It wasn't. It was very rarely just him that was right. successful. It was all of us that was successful. Right. So um, that's generally the way I see it. Mm. What's the latest book you've been reading? The Ray Dalio one on on leadership. Oh yes, yeah, it's that, very good principles, yeah. phenomenal uh, yeah. wisdom in, in that book. Yeah. I did a lot of reading when I was younger. Yeah. I had a, a philosophy when when I've been in strategy jobs historically. I've always said you, you put twenty percent of your time into learning about the market about yourself about people yeah. <laughs> you, that actually it might appear to be just leisure but it's really investment in the, the fundamentals right. so um i did a lot of reading early on everything from the Covey and yes <laughs> even what's his name robbins tony robbins on uh on neurolinguistic programming but i i do find that uh you really do have to spend time in investing in the the skills. The thing that I find in the books that's useful is their experiences of what they've done and some right. of the frameworks they've put around it. it it's useful, but mm-hmm. it's just not, it's just another 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 input. It's not something you can say, okay, that's my that's it. I'm doing it. Is that magic formula? Right. It's but it's always good to get them. You know, it's uh, it's been fascinating for me to hear you. Uh, you know, we've had some of this interaction one on one before, but here you really, you know, share your thoughts on this show and what really life means to you and Mm. how leadership has sort of done well for you by practicing those basic life principles, foundational ones that Mm. you've carried from your early childhood. But, you know, we all eventually sunset our lives. Mm -hmm. And what would you want your epitaph and how people would want to remember Vince by? If there are people in the world who feel I helped them achieve something in their life, it doesn't have to be the most fundamental. It doesn't mean that I changed their life, whatever, but they know that I helped them and they remember me for it. That would be very rewarding. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, the, the, uh, the epitaph is going to mean very little to me because I'm not going to be here. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I'd like to believe in the afterlife and all that sort of stuff. I just want to know that I'm going to live on in the minds of people because I've had a positive impact on them. Very, very rarely are they going to say it was this specific thing or that specific thing is going to be because of the collective experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, I don't, you know, I've, um, I've always had those philosophies that the interaction I have with you now, it might be the last one I ever have with you. You know, I don't know. You know. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I, 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 I want every interaction to have that positiveness about it. It doesn't mean we're not going to have disagreements and we're not going to have challenges. But it doesn't mean we can't relate and have... We have to be able to see the world the same way because ultimately that's between us yes. and we have to find the common ground about what we agree and disagree about. To me, that would be the most rewarding thing, to know that that I've, I've left the world and people are going to remember me for the contributions I've made to them. You know, I, I, I look at my daughter and my wife and I know I've done everything I can for them to be happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so knowing that is obviously still more important to me than again what the epitaph is and i and i'm not really good at one word one phrase <laughs> one phrase statements that's very good actually it's very a lot of these things end up becoming cliche statements mm. unless you really believe in in who you are and 
what you want people to remember you by. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you. Vince, it's just been such a pleasure having you on the show and having you share your life experiences and your professional experiences. I look forward to many more opportunities for us to interact, spend time with each other. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate it too, Sidhu. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you.